walking through the book of Colossians, starting uh, today. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we'll be looking at this morning. And as you're turning there, press release in a Midwestern city told of a hospital where officials discovered that the firefighting equipment had never been connected. For 35 years, it had relied upon the safety of the patients on this firefighting equipment, but they discovered it was never hooked up to the main. So imagine for a moment we have this main coming out, we go four feet and stop. And then you had the firefighter equipment, its main pipe was never connected to the water supply. So they had the sprinklers and all that nice firefighting equipment inside the hospital in case a fire broke out, nothing would happen. They were missing the most important thing, water. See, our sense of security and peace should never be placed on anything man-made, not money, not the stock market, and surely not the government. Look at verses 4 and 5 in our text this morning. Let's go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epiras, our Beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. If you notice in verses 4 and 5, it's apparent that the Colossians believer, believers were putting their faith in Christ. Now something about Colossae, as we start our walk through the passage, it was located on the south bank of the Lycus River. You can see there in the picture. Uh, It was located on a main trade route from Ephesus to Sardis and then on up to the Euphrates River. It was a commercial significance was due to wool. They would take the wool off the sheep that grazed on the Lycos River Valley, and they would take it off the sheep, and they would dye it red. And that was known as Colossian wool. Now, in Paul's day, this was a very much a cosmopolitan city. There are some ruins of it. In the back there, that is a library that once housed some great books of literature at one point. It was a great cosmopolitan city, and it had a lot of different cultures and religions that kind of mingled in with each other. Another thing about this place is they suffered to earthquakes. They had a lot of earthquakes. They had a major one about the writing of this book. This book was written around 60 A.D. So at that same time, they had a major earthquake that just damaged the city. They never really recovered. Now, Laodicea did come back. 
if you look in the map, you see what you see is kind of to the north is where Colossae was. They came back, but Colossae never regained its popularity and significance through commerce. Now, bear with me. Just think where we are as a country right now. We have lost a lot of economic power because of COVID. Look how many jobs have been lost. Look how many people are collecting unemployment. And I see that we're almost in the same situation that when Paul's writing this letter to them, they're in a situation that they're not once privy to a lot of things they probably enjoyed before. Kind of like us, huh? We're in that situation in our country, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for our country, specifically the election. I'm not going to turn this into a political speech. It's not the place for that. But I am very concerned about our country, the special election, what's going to happen. But there is great opportunity in the midst of all this to tell people about the peace of God they can have through Christ. So we look at the beginning of the letter. Paul identifies himself as an apostle by or through the will of God. He introduces himself to these people here because he's never met them personally. He doesn't know the congregation. So he's letting them know that he's an apostle. He also calls Ephras, our beloved fellow bond servant, he's the one who planted the church. He's the one that told Paul what was happening in Colossae because Paul had never met them personally. So he's introducing himself. And he calls himself an apostle. In the Greek, that's apostolos. It means delegate, envoy, or messenger. It was usually reserved to talk to somebody who was commissioned by Christ himself, someone who walked with Christ when he was on the earth, or someone who saw the risen Lord. And that would include Paul because of his Damascus Road experience. That's the term in which he's using. So, yes, the other two, Timothy and Papyrus, were church planters, and they could share the good message, but they were not necessarily an apostle. Now, some of us are not called to be pastors, teachers, song leaders, missionaries. But we are called, no matter who we are, to share the gospel everywhere that we go. We talk about the Great Commission. Talk about go and make disciples of all nations. But that word go in the Greek doesn't mean as you go to your destination, don't worry about it. Get to where you're going and then make disciples. Really what it's talking about, as you go along that journey, make disciples. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. He, God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the equipping of the saints. By the way, how many believers in Christ could get good, hearty amen if this needed to be forever? Hey, look at that. You are a saint. That's right. You heard me. We'll talk about it in just a moment. And he gave these people, these evangelists and pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. My role, if you will, is to equip you to do the ministry, to do the work. I'm to do it myself as a believer, but my job as your pastor slash teacher, as leader, I am to help you and equip you 
to do the work of service. It's not just the pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job. It's all of our duty to go out and take the gospel out. My job is to go to do that any way that I possibly can. So what Paul's doing here, he's establishing his credentials on the outset because he is going to address some false doctrine that's come into the church. So he's establishing who he is and his authority with the people right now. He talks about Timothy, our brother. Now, we understand that as brother in Christ, but it's got some more, it has a, a deeper meaning in that. He means a co-worker or a helper, because elsewhere, Timothy is called a minister, a good soldier of Christ. So what Paul is talking about here, I'm not alone in teaching this stuff. This is something, I, I didn't make all the stuff up on my own. Timothy knows about it. He's taught it. So this is not just an expression of my own ideas. Other people are preaching the same thing. So it not only underscores Paul's authority, but he's also letting you know what they've heard from Timothy and specifically Epaphras that they have come to the truth. Then he goes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. That expression about saints can also be found in the Old Testament. That word in the Greek actually means cosmos. It means Ready? Holy. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was his expression. What does it mean to be holy? To be different. Literally to be set apart. So we do. We are to reflect Christ in everything that we do. See, we are saints, believers in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything we have done or could ever do. It's all based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do you understand this? That when the blood of Christ covers your sin, that God sees you as his child. He doesn't see the sin because the blood of Christ covers it. And wrap your mind around this. One day, because of Christ and your relationship with Christ, you can stand before Almighty God with no blemish, and stand there perfectly holy and complete. Can you imagine that? Standing before Almighty God. It's all because of Christ. And because we are saints, because of our faith, well, first of all, because of the grace of God through Christ, we should allow that or we should use that to inform our ethics. So we have a problem in this country. We have a problem in this country. Really, in our society. We come up with a list of behaviors or things we want to engage in, and then we run to the Bible and pull every verse out of context we can to support that. The one I always use, I'm going to repeat it again, wives, submit to your husbands. See, the problem with marriages now is women to just submit to their husbands. Is that what that passage says? Right underneath this says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So instead of coming up with a list of behaviors, what I need to do is read the scriptures. How does God want me to act in this situation, this decision, and let the scriptures inform, influence, direct, and guide me in the way that would be reflective of God's character and his nature, not the other way around. 
We should never run to the Bible to try to justify an action or behavior. We should go to God's word first to see what it says. But see, a lot of times I have that backwards. I have a situation happen in my life, and I'll try all these other things to do. And know what happens? It falls apart. In some situations, I make the situation worse than it was when it first started. If I just went to God first and sought his guidance and direction, it would have saved me a lot of pain and heartache. But I'm going to give you just a little warning. When you go to God with that, be prepared because he's going to say, at least in my experience, hey, Tim, you're right. But you know what? You got this little room over here you need to take care of. Let's take care of that first. But does it make you feel uncomfortable that you're referred to as a saint? If I was to walk up to you and say, hey, how you doing, saint? Would you go, who are you talking to? Well, who's that? But it's all because of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is what attracts unbelievers. Does it mean we're perfect? Uh, no. We're going to have times of disagreement. We're going to have times we get mad at each other. Look, we're sinners, saved by grace. We're going to have problems. But when we love each other as God loves us, and the world sees us walk, walk through those problems, they're going to see a difference. The way we talk to each other, the way we handle situations and go through trouble. He describes the Colossians as faithful brethren or brothers in Christ. They have placed their wholehearted trust in Christ. Here's a word. What does it mean to trust? You exercise that when you walked. Actually, you acted out faith and trust. You didn't even know it. When you walked in this room and you sat down on the pew, you had faith and you trust. I doubt that anyone before you sat down, did you look underneath the pew and shake it, make sure it was secure, it wouldn't fall apart? Did you look down at the anchor bolts and the foundation, make sure they're steady? Did you test the cushion to make sure it's something there? Or did you just blindly sit down? You sat down. Had faith that it was going to hold your weight, that you could sit there comfortably, and you trusted right then and there. Didn't even think about it, did you? When you get into your car and you drive down 455, you're trusting and having faith in your fellow drivers because they're going to sit on their side of the road. We exercise this all the time. Now, let me just paint a picture for you. Let's say we're flying to Hawaii. Where did I bring this one? We're up in the air for eight and a half hours, nonstop from here. The pilot comes on and he says, I have some bad news. He says, the plane is going to crash. There's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is keep it in the air as long as I possibly can. But make no sake about it. We're over the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Nothing we can do. It's going to crash. Well, gee, what's the good news? <laughs> the good news is we happen to have a parachute for every passenger on board. I'm going to drop to 10,000 feet. When the time comes, you put your parachute on, you're jumping, you'll be safe. They're making calls to the Coast Guard. There'll be someone to pick you up. Now, we don't know what time this is going to happen. We're going to close, but we're going to go as far as we possibly can. 
Let me ask you a question. Will that flight attendant comes over and give you a book? Or are you just going to say, well, I'll have time when he tells me. I'll just put it in the overhead bin because it's too uncomfortable to put it on my lap. Maybe I'll put it underneath the seat in front of me. Well, that takes up too much leg room. Maybe I'll go in the back. There's some more room out back. Because after all, he is going to make the announcement when that time's coming that you have to go. Or would you put that parachute on thinking, man, I want to be ready. It's coming. I don't want to be lagging behind. I want to get my behind out of here as quickly as I can. So you put that parachute on. Then that time comes, maybe catches some people by surprise, but you're ready. And you're looking out the plane. If you're like me, someone would probably have to push you. 10,000 feet, that's a long way. And as you jump, you're putting your faith and trust. You ever packed that parachute? Packed it correctly, that when you pull that ripcord, that thing's going to open up the canopy, and it's going to allow you safely to land in the water, and then the Coast Guard will come pick you up, and you're off. That's exactly like it is when you trust Christ. That's, that's the situation that we find ourselves. Let me just back up. We don't know when Christ is coming. We know he's coming. We don't know when. And we know there's going to be judgment. Everything that was secret is going to be revealed. Everything that was in darkness is going to come to light. We know that time is coming. The other thing we, don't, we know it's coming, we don't know when, is the time of our own physical death. We have to be ready. What it means to trust Christ is you trust him completely with your eternity in your life, just like you put your life in the hands of that parachute. Because once you jump out of that plane, ain't nothing you're going to do. You can't flap your arms. You can't sing, I love no, it ain't going to work. The only thing that's going to stop your fall is that parachute. Now, hear me and hear me well. The only thing that's going to make a difference on that day is my relationship that I had with Christ. In fact, one of the most sobering verses I've ever read in the Bible, many of them, by the way, Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't do all these wonderful things, cast out demons and all these things they list out. Jesus doesn't deny they did them or did them in his name, but he said, depart from me, for I never knew you. That means we can be so busy doing things, going through the motions of church, going through all the emotions of being a believer, but not truly having a relationship with Christ. We always have to check ourselves and find out what is the motivation for what we're doing. Everything must be undergirded by our love for Christ. Speaking of love, thankfulness. He says, grace to you, look what it says, and peace from God our Father. That's interesting that he would put that in that order. You know why? Because shalom is how Jewish people greet each other. It means peace. But it means more than just the peace that we mean. It's not just peace from conflict. It's peace in every area of life. Your relationships, your job, whatever it is, have total peace. But look what he says. He puts grace before it. You know what he's telling us? You cannot have true peace apart from the grace of God. It cannot happen. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or understanding or every thought, or as a New Living Translation puts it, 
which exceeds anything we understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that God establishes with us through his son. Doesn't mean I walk around and nothing bothers me. There's a lot of concern I have right now. I'll be honest, with what's going on with COVID, everything we're seeing in our country, I do have concern. But you know how I get through? I have the peace. That no matter what happens, God's in control. And he has me. And he's not going to let go. That if I am to die and leave this life on earth, I know where I'm going. And nobody and nothing can take that away from me. Because he's so good. Faithful and he's faithful. Look what he says. Now remember, he doesn't know these people personally. But he's heard about them. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that word thank mean? It means to express gratitude for something received. Once again, Paul has not received anything from the Colossians because he doesn't know them personally. It's kind of like the Cropper program we have as Baptists. You ever heard of the Cropper program? We take up the offering here, a percentage of that goes on to the SBC in Nashville, and it goes out to different entities, the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, and our six Southern Baptist seminaries. And by the way, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is one of those seminaries. So guess what? You didn't know me, but because of your faithful giving to this church and this church's faithful giving to the Crawford Program, you helped pay for my theological education. So I thank you for that. And some of you are probably thinking, we need to go back and get some more. But I thank you for that. And he says, I'm, I'm praying for you. And notice his prayers to God the Father. He's not congratulating them what they've done, but he's telling us that every thanksgiving, every congratulations, and every praise must be offered to God because it's always God at work behind the scenes. Blake and Jenna, they sing very well. You know who's behind the scenes that gave them that gift? God. So they turn back and use it. Is there a way to give them thank you, praise God, thank you for this gift, God, that you've given me so I can reach more people? God's given me the gift to preach, and that's what I do. But each one of you in here has a spiritual gift that God has given you so you can help build his kingdom, his church. Some of you in this room are great prayer warriors. You pray constantly. We need you to pray. Uh, some of you have the gift of, of accounting or, or all these other things that we need to make this church function. It's all people, all these different gifts, different backgrounds, coming under one banner for one common goal. And that is the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says he's praying always for you. Really, a better translation of that is continually. I'm continuing to pray for you. Now, he doesn't know them personally, but he's praying for them because he's heard the people. He's thanking God for what he's hearing. He's letting them know about that, and he says, I'm praying for you. There's an old hymn entitled Sweet Hour of Prayer. Ever heard of it? Sweet hour. I'm the one that's singing. He sounds terrible. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. When is the last time that as an individual and as a church, you literally spent a day in prayer? 
is our communication with God. Prayer changes things. I heard it said one time that prayer is not about changing God's mind. Prayer is about allowing our will to determine his. He says, I'm doing this. I'm thinking, God, I'm praying for you all the time. Why is that? Look, since or because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What does he think of them for? He thanks them for their faith. He says, I've heard about your faith, your love. And faith is first mentioned because without faith they couldn't be couldn't be Christians. They live under his lordship. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this. For by the grace of God, through faith, you have been saved. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So they first they have faith. They're exercising. Next, look what he says. The love which you have for all the saints. Love is a practical expression of care and concern. It's not just telling someone you love them, but it's actually doing things for them. The words of Jesus in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by all, he goes on to verse 35, he says, By this all men will know you are my disciples. Notice the qualifier? Not just love each other, but love each other as Christ has loved you. How does Christ love you? Perfect. Unconditional. That's how we are to love one another. And when we show that love, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples. And he goes on to say, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Their hope is placed in unseen things, specifically a place that lies before them. We're talking about heaven, where no power, human or otherwise, can touch it. Their reward is stored and reserved or laid up in heaven. You ever heard of Fort Knox? How secure that place is? Heaven is even more secure than that. And as a Christian, your reward, your salvation, is laid up for you in heaven with God himself. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to award to me on that day. He goes on to say, but not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Our reward, our salvation. You know what's going to happen? He's going to give us our crown. And it's in heaven. So when you watch all the news about everything that's going on, they can tear all the statutes. They can burn all the flags. They can go around doing anything they want to do, but they cannot touch your salvation. They cannot do anything. He said, you previously heard this in the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth, the Bible. God's word. And look what he says. He makes a comparison how the gospel has come in and taken root with them. For he goes on to say, just as in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel has come into their lives. It's taken root. Now they're producing fruit. And they're impacting lives. That should be a pattern for our lives. As the gospel takes root and we grow in our relationship with Christ, we start producing fruit and impacting lives. That should be a pattern not only of our individual life, but the pattern 
of this church. See, fruit bearing is a crop of good works that results from relationship with Christ. And when that fruit is, is coming forth and producing more fruit, that means more people are coming to know Christ. It reminds them, and us, by the way, that we have a part in evangelism. Think about this. Paul didn't know these people. He heard reports, and he says, because of what you're doing, your faith in Christ, you're going out, you're being faithful with it, you're loving one another, you're doing all these things, you are impacting eternity. We have the same opportunity to impact eternity as they he goes on to say, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. And here's the important thing. By mentioning that, he's letting them know what you heard from this brother of mine is true. He calls him a fellow bondservant, but also calls him faithful servant. He is Paul's representative. You have heard the truth. You have acted upon the truth. I've heard it, and I thank God for it because of all the good work that you've done. I wonder what Paul would write about us today as a church. What would he say? What would be his letter to us? I would think it would be somewhat positive. We're glad. We've had baptisms in the last year or so. You know, our attendance was going pretty well until COVID hit, but we're, we maintain that. God continues to bless us with financial resources. So there are good things happening. But there is more work to be done. And it goes back full circle because where I want to go with this in conclusion is going back to where I started. He goes back, put this in context. Their city had been destroyed by an earthquake. They lost a lot of prominence, a lot of opportunity. And here comes Paul, the apostle. Hey, man, I've been hearing good things about you guys. Just want you to know you've heard the truth. And I thank God for you, and I pray for you on a continual basis because of the love you have for each other, because of your faith, faith in Christ. And I want to remind you, because of your faith in Christ, your reward is in heaven. Look at the context. What was going on? So I'm going to ask you this morning, like this, what are we putting out? Is it family? Is it friends? If COVID has taught, to, taught us nothing else, it's that we cannot trust anything man-made to give us a true sense of peace or security. There's only one person that will give you true peace true security, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Are you bearing fruit? Are you growing in relationship with Christ? Are we as a church, are we bearing fruit? Are we as a church growing in our relationship? See, it builds upon each other. As I grow deeper in my relationship with Christ, and you're growing your deeper relationship with Christ, now as a church as a whole, we're all going to be growing. Because you see, none of us should stay the same today as we were yesterday. We should be more like Christ today than yesterday. And as a church, that's true. 
Because here, here's a great thing. I want to just kind of open a whole can of worms with this. To truly gauge spiritual growth of a church, don't look how many numbers of people they're running. Don't look at the number of how many people walk the aisle. Because you know what happens? As people join the church, a lot of people go out the back door. No one ever sees them. Here's how you gauge the church. How much more like Christ do we look today than we did yesterday? How much more like Christ do we look this year than we did last year? But we have to start with ourselves. It always starts with us, the individual. I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let me just break that down very briefly if I can. In other words, why do I look at a splinter in your eye? Meanwhile, there's a telephone pole in mine. How can I tell you to clean your house if mine's a mess? How can I tell you to get right with Christ when my walk is tore up? That word hypocrite, by the way, comes from the pretense. It meant people pretending to be somebody else. That's where that word comes from in the Greek and in the English. So think about it here in America. Doesn't it strike you as kind of ironic that the fact that the most paid people, the most famous people, dare I say the most influential people, are people who get paid tons of money to pretend they're something that they're not? Then those same people have the gumption to come back and call Christians hypocrites. It's an interesting observation, is it not? Because all of us are hypocrites to one degree. We profess something, we fall short. But I want you to take this time, especially in this time that which we're living in. What are we putting our hope in? Is it money? Is it programs? Is it the building? Is it Jesus? I don't care what kind of facility we build. I don't care what the finances are. If we don't trust Christ with every fiber of our being, we'll never get anywhere. Oh, sure, we'll kind of go up and flow. We'll probably flop around a little bit. But there will never be any significant growth or impact if we do not turn it all over to Christ. Christ alone. Christ alone. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Don't. I want you to think about your walk with Christ. First of all, do you have a relationship with him? Have you turned your life over to him as both Lord and Savior? If you have done that, what is holding you back from a new start? Perhaps as our brother mentioned in that song, what's that room? See that, that, that tension you're feeling right now? It's the Lord knocking on that room door. Let me in. Let me clean it up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the greatest gift that was ever given, and that is your son. And Father, there's so much chaos, hatred, 
running around in our country and in our world. Father, you've called us to be holy in the midst of everything around us, to reflect you in everything that we say and everything that we do. Father, we ask you to search us, search our hearts, examine vessels that you can use to do your work. Continue to move and speak to each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.
that be our heart cry today in these coming weeks. Just a few closing remarks. Jason, it's great to see you again, sir. We've been using the door for him before. Um, as you walk out, of course, you don't think of the loaf or the offering anymore because of COVID. But the brown box is for your regular tithes and offerings. And if you like to leave a love offering that's taken up for Blake and Jenna, it's the bucket about below it. So if you want to regular tithes and offerings in the box and then the love offering, then that's for Blake and Jenna. But if you've been blessed by them this morning, just show them some love by some, some applause. I'm going to close out with this. I'll try to make it through without getting emotional. Just bear with me. This thing about Paul writing to the Colossians. And as your pastor, I'm not necessarily new to Forestburg, but living here and being with y'all, I don't say this flippantly, but I say it with all the sincerity of my heart. I hear good things. I see your love. I see your faith have those things because you know that your treasure is stored in heaven. So I thank God for you. Always remembering me when I pray for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.